Mary Meet, and welcome to The Pragmatic Pagan. This podcast explores an inclusive pagan path via science-based witchcraft, no deities included. With a focus on nature and energy, this spiritual practice is centered on lunar tides and seasonal cycles. Join me weekly for ways to stay connected and in tune to the universe. And we can stay connected when you follow me on Facebook at A Pragmatic Pagan or on Instagram at The Pragmatic Pagan. Reach out to share your questions or stories. I would love to hear from you. You can also leave a voice message via my page on Anchor Podcasts. Link in the bio. Merry meet all. As of right now, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, most states are in a safe at-home order, asking residents to stay home in hopes of helping to flatten the curve by slowing the rate of sickness. With that in mind, I am proud to say that everyone is home in my apartment building here in Seattle, but truly everyone is home, making it a bit difficult to get quiet space to record. So please forgive any random background noises. Spring is in the air, trees are blooming, and baby birds are learning to fly. It is a time of starting new things and testing the waters. So with that in mind, I wanted to offer the opportunity to learn or brush up on your art of spell writing. Many people believe that writing spells requires a lot of experience and skill. However, writing spells is one of the most basic ways to connect with yourself and your energy work. One step above meditation and mindfulness, spells make up the basics of witchcraft. While many religions use mantras, chants, and prayers, witchcraft instead uses incantations and spells to shape energy to our intents. Unlike most organized practices, spell work isn't necessarily one-size-fits-all, and you often need to add your own personal touch to a spell to see the best results. Also, unlike organized religion, there is no prescribed best practice, which instead means you should tailor your spell work to you and your intent. So, without further delay, Let's get started. All right, witches, grab that pen and paper, and here we go. When writing and shaping a spell, you want to consider a few key elements. First, the intent. Then, visualizing the magic. Correspondences and timing. Raising and shaping the energy the words of the spell or the incantation, and last, your realistic next steps. You will also want to consider your tools, such as stones, gems, crystals, herbs, oils, scents, candles, cauldron, a theme or wand, and conduits, such as paper, photos, string, rope, etc. During this episode, we'll work together to build a spell for the coming moon cycle. I will be focusing on finding a new home as my lease is up next month and I need this moon cycle to bring about the perfect new location to call home. However, you can use this exercise to write a spell that works for you and your intent. It will follow a very similar steps and I will recommend some basic options that are a bit of a generic spell recipe. Recently, I shared an episode about a witch's grimoire or book of shadows. This becomes your spiritual journal and in it you can build, shape, and document the testing of your spells ones that work best for you. Have questions about the steps or how to tailor things to your spell? Reach out via engagement posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
There, you can ask your questions and get one-on-one -on -one advice for your spell creation. All right, let's dig in. The first step to spell working is deciding what your intent is. This is often the trickiest part because it is intensely key to the success of the spell. Often, the first instinct is to cast a spell that is, this person does this thing. But at least one of those elements has nothing to do with you or your energy. So unless you are very familiar with working with that person's energy, it's not likely to have the impact you want. This is where having elements of another person, hair, clothes, etc. can help with that energy tie. However, when starting spellcraft, especially writing your own spells, I strongly suggest focusing your spellwork on actions relating to yourself. So instead of this person does this thing, it becomes this spell helps me do this thing that may cause this person to do this other thing. The key is to focus on what you can do to be an active ingredient in the spellwork, focusing on your personal circle of influence. Here are a few examples. Instead of a spell to make you beautiful, the spell might instead be a spell to help you see your own beauty. And that might be tied with some physical self-care and hygiene as well as some visualization about yourself. Also, instead of find me the perfect house, the spell might be help me find the resources to secure a place to call home. And again, would be tied to some real actions such as saving and house hunting to help bring it to fruition. Once you know your intent, I like to begin with figuring out what I energetically need to bring to life. And I do this by designing a visualization. Going back to the above examples for the beauty spell, I might create a visualization of looking in the mirror and being happy with what I see. For the house hunt, it might focus instead of what it feels like to be at home and any new memories I may want to create. I don't want to focus too much on the specific details though, because if the house isn't the right color or doesn't have a fireplace, does that matter if it still provides all of the feelings of being at home? This is about being open on the details, but specific on the intent. Once an intent is in place and you have something in mind for the visualization, start looking at the activity that will raise and shape the energy during your ritual. In this case, not only will I do my visualization for house hunting, but I might also do some drawing, collaging, or even just dancing around my current space, doing things that generate that feeling of home for me. The activity can help serve as a homing beacon for the energy vibration, narrowing in on the frequency of the magic. Another key part of spell work is the practical side. I like to get this out of the way early. Somewhat because it's an opportunity to incorporate spell work into the practical activity, and that's super important. For practical steps, I'm not only house hunting and saving money for moving, but I'm also cleaning out my current space, really helping to narrow down and define what goes with me to my new home. As I pack, I'm also imagining unpacking and that wonderful feeling of settling into a new space and finding just the right spot for everything. For a beauty spell, you might focus on physical hygiene steps and self-care while working through visualizations that help you shift your viewpoint. My episode on personal cleansing offers some great basic places to start. Now, 
with the basic spine of the spell in place, it's time to get down to more of the nitty-gritty. This is where knowledge of your lunar cycles, elements, and other correspondences are key. First, let's talk about timing. Beginning with a lunar cycle, the first thing we ask is, are we gaining or banishing? If we are gaining, our spell might want to start with the first quarter and continue just past the full moon. If we are banishing, instead, we will start on the full moon, working the spell and banishing that energy as the moon shrinks from the sky, taking us through the new moon. Some witches use astrology to select the lunar cycle or month to do the spell, as well as the best time of day or of the week. This is definitely an option as a method to build your spells. If interested, you will want to start learning more about astrology, its correspondences, and the process of building an astrological chart. Pragmatic Pause Astrology brings a lot of debate because, well, it's a soft science. There is a lot to argue about its validity, especially over time. The biggest argument usually falls that the dates for the zodiac have shifted over time. There is also no proof that being born in Aries means you have those personality traits. This is definitely a take it or leave it, and it isn't a requirement in practicing paganism or witchcraft. It adds another layer. Do I personally use it? I like to amuse myself with it, but I don't often incorporate it into my spell work. For me, the daily tides of sunrise, sunset, the lunar, and seasonal tides all hold more importance due to their known link to the energy around us. I do pay attention to bigger astrological incidents such as eclipses and planetary alignment. Whatever scope you choose to embrace or not embrace is completely up to you. In regard to timing, I like to focus on the more obvious ebbs and flows, looking to seasons and days as miniature representations on the wheels of life. On a daily cycle, abundance comes at dawn with its spark of new beginnings. As the sun moves overhead, spells gather strength and abundance. Afternoon is a waning period, a time to begin to release what does not serve us with the ultimate banishing energy coming in at dusk with the sunset. The rising tides of the moon shifting through this daily cycle, a constant yet changing source of energy. See how you compare the two for that ultimate energy boost. On a yearly cycle, we can look to spring as a time for planting ideas and intense, summer, a time of fruition. So begin to build your spells in the spring, plant them, and expect them to come to fruition by the fall. Use the winter months to turn inwards, focusing on banishing and introspection. These wheels of energy around us are great resources to tap into and move with the flow. Wait. Does that mean I can't do a banishing spell in the summer? Wrong. You can. Just know that you are working with about half the ammo, so your outcome may not be as potent, or you may have to work extra hard to raise that energy. It may take more than one lunar cycle to really see the effects you're hoping for. You can always work with the energy around you. It's just about whether it is working with you. At this point, we've touched on visualizations, intent, energy activity, time of year, time of lunar cycle, and time of day. 
These next few steps are about using correspondences and magical tools to bring the spell creatively to life through objects that help us identify and relate to our intent. This is where you might consider certain scents, herbs, crystals, stones, gems, colors, elemental representations, etc. You can easily find information about most of these objects and their believed correspondences, but I strongly encourage you to spend some time building your own relations to each of the amplification objects you are hoping to use. So if you're really interested in learning something more about crystals and you'd like to select one for your spell, you're going to go ahead and do some research, find one that matches your intent, and you're actually going to find that there's probably several that match your intent. And that's where I say to kind of use your own personal instinct to really find one that relates to you. So for instance, I actually like to use scents as, as a great example here because um, a lot of time people will say this scent represents this um, particular intent or emotion. And honestly, that scent uh, gives me a headache or it makes me feel frustrated or it brings on some anxiety. Um, or certain scents that other people don't relate a certain way um, bring about a certain feeling in me that um, is so strong that I can't deny. So um, that's where you really want to listen to your intuition. If your intuition says this scent is what is what love is to me, then that's that's what you want to lean into. And feel free to tie in, you know, some of the more traditional correspondences. But this is really about getting your energy and vibration humming to um, a very specific tune for you. So as you are selecting objects, be cautious. You don't have to include everything. This is where I look to my element of choice for the spell, or maybe I pick two elements, and let that help guide me for what I use as correspondences. So if fire feels more appropriate, then I might stick to candle magic. If water is what's needed, then I'll look to incorporate water and shells. It may be more of a bath ritual. Earth may mean gemstones or herbs, but... Truly, those can be uh, more individualized to represent the elements as well. So this may be that I need to plant, um, or maybe it's really about grounding and earthing. Uh, air may focus around scent, whether through herbs, essential oils, or incense. By selecting your element first, it helps to provide guidance in selecting the rest of your tools. Alternatively, do a little research and see what speaks to you. Pragmatic pause. I want to spend a moment here to talk about herbs and crystals. These two elements often get a lot of weight thrown behind them, and while they offer some practical assistance to the spell, I want to stress that they do not make or break a spell. Having them is like icing on the cupcake, not the flour in the mix. These correspondences rely heavily on the main principles of magic principles of vibration, the laws of contact, and similarity. You can learn more about that in episode 40, The Principles of Magic and Witchcraft. On a more scientific level, herbs and crystals, like all matter, are created of cells and energy. This energy binds the cells together to make the thing. Based on the principle of vibration, we can say that these objects exist on a vibrational plane. Different combinations of cells and energy make different things and different vibrations. The idea here is that the energy found inside other pieces of matter can be drawn upon when doing spell work, that you can essentially tune into and use this vibration to assist your own tuning process. It essentially acts like a tuning fork, and in fact, a lot of the time, just being able to focus on this object to 
to bring your t- attention to something um, helps both in meditation and mindfulness, but also in your spell work. To take this a step further, but not into scientific terrain, many believe the vibrations of these objects can be used to store energy or can be altered to hold a different vibration than its own without changing its exterior form. We do know that certain elements have the ability to magnetize or change the polarization of other objects, so the idea isn't completely out of left field. We just haven't found that scientific link that proves you can charge a crystal with energy, have it hold that energy, and or change that energy around it. Believe what you will here, use or don't use. I have found that effective spells need no more than you and your intent. The final element is, of course, the incantation itself. I usually leave this for last so that I can draw upon my correspondences, timing, intent, and visualizations to help drive and shape my words. While words are important, I also want to caution spending too much time here fussing. Perfection is the devil of good or done, but this is where the witch's grimoire comes in. Use it to consistently work your spell language. Maybe the first time you use the spell, it's not perfect, but the second time you revisit it, you are able to get the phrasing just a bit closer to your intent. I want to point out that it's okay if it comes out cutesy or simple. Sometimes those are the best ones. You want something that you can repeat easily while you give your mind and energy over to your intent. There's also no shame in relying on another's words, especially as you are getting your footing. However, consider how you might shape them to make them more personal, whether to your beliefs or your spellwork and intent. The author has chosen to share those spells as a way to help you. Use that tool. If you are ready to take on the idea of crafting your own spell words, focus on creating a simple rhyme that conjures up your intent in your brain. This is why it works best when you write it, and it is deeply tied to your thoughts and energy through that creation. Don't hesitate to use your tools. Think thesaurus and rhyming dictionaries. Great tools to get your brain going. The rhymes can be simple, or you can skip rhymes altogether. But you do want something that is rhythmic, easy to remember, and conjures up those feelings of your intent. Rhymes are a simple way to achieve that. Here are a few bits of commonly used phrases to help you get started or to wrap up your spell. As within so without, as above, so below. With harm to none, my will be done. As I will, so mote it be. Again, look back a bit on the research you have done in shaping the spell. Use words and concepts from the correspondences and tools you have chosen. I often compile a large list of all of these words before beginning to write. It creates a resource of words at your fingertips. Mix that with a thesaurus and rhyming guide, and it starts to feel a lot easier. I hope today's episode took some mystery out of how to build your own spells. I highly encourage you to begin simple and work, rework a spell over time, adding layer by layer until you have built a spell that really works for you. Great spells to do this with include finding a home or job, for bringing or reigniting love in your life. These are topics that come up more than once in life, and it's always nice to have something you can pull out and use from your own personal flair. 
As the years have gone on, those few spells I have worked at developing have grown into truly important tools in my life toolkit. So if it doesn't work the first time, consider the elements of your spell, rework, revisit, revise, and each time it will emerge that much more powerful. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Pragmatic Pagan. Please reach out with any questions or stories you are willing to share, and stay connected by joining me on Facebook at A Pragmatic Pagan or on Instagram at The Pragmatic Pagan. Until next time, merry meet, merry part, until we merry meet again. Oh, and the universe is telling you to stay home, don't touch your face, and wash your damn hands. Let's do our part to stay inside and keep our communities safe and healthy. Until we merry meet again. Mm-hmm.